listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Now stomping Jen. Hello. Yeah. Oh, oh, hi. Nice to see you. Always a pleasure. Do you know who is on the show this week? <laughs> Do I know who's on the show? Yes. You and me. Yes, but we also have a guest. <laughs> oh, we do? Yes. Excellent. Freddie Lopez, who is also known as Freddie Logic. Okay. We are going to talk to him about many a thing. Many things. Yes. He is many things. He is many things. Yes. Okay. Um, and we're going to talk to him right after the intro music. Sounds great. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, let's go. <laughs> Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping Jen, I'm singing again. I thought maybe we'd get away. Never! How are you doing? singing, oh my god. Are you doing well? I'm doing fine. Okay. Let me turn this down, and we will say hello to our guest this week, Freddie Lopez. Hi, Freddie. Hello. How's everybody doing? How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Um, thank you for joining us. Now, I tend not to do a very good job introducing <laughs> our guests, so um, I want to give you an opportunity just to tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, anything you want to share as we get going here. Okay. If I have to put myself in a box, I'm going to start with a real estate box. Um, I'm a real estate broker in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Been a real estate broker. Uh, been in real estate for 20 years now in August. I'll be licensed in real estate. So my main frame of work is real estate, uh, community involved, uh, get involved in a lot of things, just trying to make the world a better place overall. But uh, entrepreneur, I get involved in different ventures, financial ventures, and a lot of community work. So overall, I would just say I'm a hardworking individual. <laughs> yeah, and I can tell that from your Instagram profile, which I follow, called I Am Freddy Logic. I've been following this for a while, and I, I know it's a private account, so not everybody's going to be able to see this. But if they're right. lucky enough to get into it, here's <laughs> what I want to say. I love this Instagram profile. What do you love engine. about it? Um, Freddie posts these really interesting bits of advice, um, and then pictures from his life and his, his grinding out there and his work. And it's entertaining. And I, I enjoy it when I see a post from I am Freddie Logic. Oh, yeah. I love it. So that's, that's good. I've never heard anybody say anything or describe my Instagram page. My Instagram page is my personality page. So 
what I mean by that is um, it's just random thoughts that just pop in. There's no rhyme or reason to what I do. I just figure um, things that kind of like catch my attention. I share them and, you know, kind of take a little credit for them when they're not my original thoughts, but just things that are going around. And I just say, this is interesting and kind of wild people with some of the shock factors sometimes, you know? Yeah. Where do you, where do you find the stuff that you post? Are you just, just out there stuff that you encounter as you're going through the the social media websites? It, it is, it is, um, you know, there, there's a focus to it. So you end up following people with a certain focus, uh, certain agenda, certain type of mindset, certain type of uh, direction. And then what happens is you become like-minded with, with these thoughts and energies and, you know, directions and paths and start sharing them. And it's not something that, you know, it's not things that people on an everyday basis think of, or, you know, it's just, you know, it's kind of like a wow factor, aha moments, <laughs> uh, you know, epiphanies and things that really blow my mind. So I just share them. Yeah. I mean, I love these, like, here's one that just caught my eye, right? It's, uh, good morning. Don't forget to drink your water and mind your fucking business. I love that. Right, that one, right, will, right. I'll see something like that. And then I'll see something, you know, like um, this one, everything in time. I love that. <laughs> right. Like, I right. never know what I'm going to get out of your Instagram, yeah. which is what I love about it. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what it is? It's, 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 I'm, I'm fluid with it. It's, I don't, um, I don't, try to predict tomorrow. And, and I kind of don't try to analyze yesterday too much either. It's kind of like living in the moment, riding the waves and just seeing where the universe takes me. And, you know, kind of like, I don't know, it's just really being focused on the energy of life and, and just focused on the everyday. Okay. Well today, what does it bring? And kind of trying to give meaning to everything. Sometimes you don't find it. Sometimes you do. Sometimes the puzzle pieces connect sometimes they don't but overall just trying to find rhyme and reason to uh what i call a life bid which is uh being a human you know yeah and and this one got me thinking that i saw the other day um real strength is never turning into the monster they make you out to be right right um it's basically, you know, what I meant by that is, you know, they try to box you in and try to predict who you are and try to kind of like label you. Um, for example, I don't really wear suits, but, you know, I'm on different boards and, you know, I, 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 I'm a commercial real estate broker, residential real estate broker. You know, I get involved in, you know, different aspects of the community, et cetera. But when you see me, unless you talk to me, you might not think that's me who is the one on, let's say the agenda, who's going to be given a discussion or, <laughs> you know, the person who's the, the team leader or, you know, on this board or that board or the decision maker. I mean, I just, I, I don't fit the everyday mold of, uh, uh, let's say of, uh, uptight professional. So you defy the perception of traditional businessman, right? Right. Um, I don't, I don't really defy it. I, I think it's, um, I don't think it's necessary. I used to, when I, in my younger day, I used to think it was very necessary. Yeah. So I did, I did it as well. Yeah. I used to get dressed up every day. Yeah. You know, I used to, I never, I never learned how to be stuffy. The, the problem is that no matter how I dress, the way I talk is the exact same way exactly. in every room. Yeah. So either way they were like, yeah, the suit doesn't fool us. So I just stopped wearing them. 
Yeah. And <laughs> you know, did you did you gravitate to that kind of naturally through your your work out there in the business world, or did you did you wake up one day and say, you know what, this isn't authentic, this isn't me, I don't want to do this, or did it just kind of happen slowly? I think I think what happened is, um, you know. Now I'm a little older now, but I see the next generation. They'll look at, uh, you know, I come from humble beginnings. I come from an urban setting. I come, you know, I've been in Springfield since I was three months old. Um, you know, been been through a lot of different things, a lot of different settings, and I just felt like uh, the individuals coming up after us, you know, uh, the next generation, they didn't really have too many people to identify with, and for me to kind of portray you know, being uncomfortable all of the time and, and that that was success, you know, simulation, basically. I don't really believe simulation is success. And that kind of goes back to like uh, Native Americans being oppressed and having to go through simulation camps and trying to become, you know, more, uh, let's say, pilgrimized at the time. Right. But, um, you know, just I kind of felt like I, I don't think success should be defined by, um being uncomfortable in front of other people. You know, I think mm-hmm. that kind of made me, that kind of bothered me that we define that as success, you know, when, you know, it's, I, I think it's a little oppressive. I think, I think it's kind of, um, it's not something we can really keep up with. So I, I kind of like, don't try to, you know? Yeah. I love that. I had an aha moment myself. At some point. What was it? No, I just, there was, came a point where I was like, like you, Freddie, like I was dressing up. I was uncomfortable. I wasn't staying true to who I was. And at some point I just made a realization. I'm like, fuck it. If you don't like the way I look, like more, if that bothers you and you don't want my services, then you're not somebody I want to work with. I want your services. (laughs) Well, oh boy. <laughs> I don't have any notes for that. <laughs> no, I I hear you stomping, Jen. You know, the Freddie. The other day, I was um, ba- as we as we start to commingle with people again, right? I was I saw right. somebody I hadn't seen in a while, and they said to me, "Oh, I like your pandemic beard." <laughs> I was like, "Motherfucker!" I said, "I have had this beard." Right. For a long time. This isn't a pandemic beard. I haven't been locked in my house going crazy, not able to get razors. <laughs> this is how I look. This is right. This is my beard. It's some Grizzly Adams by shit. Choice. Right. Yeah. It's some Grizzly Adams shit. I I'll grant you that, but this is how I'm choosing to look. I still do my job. I can show up right. here and be amongst people. What you put on your body or how you right. wanna do your hair or whatever. Fucking appearances. I don't like them. Yeah, yeah. So, and and then the other thing is what I realized is um, the higher up the totem pole, the less they got dressed up, you know. Hmm. So the guys who are really in charge show up in the sweats and, and the other guys who work for them show up in the suits, you know. That's privilege. Yeah, and exactly. Exercising <laughs> that privilege, yeah. Yeah. And um, the reason I read that, that one quote about... Um, Real strength is never turning into the monster they made you out to be. It made me think about the the day I met you, actually, um, which um, we we went through this kind of leadership thing together a few years ago. Um, 
uh, down, it's based out of the Springfield area. Um, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Right. Thank you, Stomping Jen. And I remember, um, I remember seeing you there at this kind of like social mixer type of thing. And, um, I remember saying, okay, this, this, this individual has some presence. He's, he's interesting. You know, he's, <laughs> he's talking to a bunch of people. So anyways, I went over, I started, started talking to you and I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think like, I remember you sharing with me that, at the time, you were doing some work um, with men around anger management. Right. And I think it was incarcerated men? <clears throat> correct. Specifically? Correct. It, correct. Yeah. Is, is a program called the Alternatives to Violence Project, right? And what it is, it's a, it's a program in which um, it, it was founded by the Quaker organization, and which is uh, sort of a religious organization. I don't know if you guys know what the Quaker organization is. Yeah. But um, which they believe that at no time under any circumstance is there a reason for violence? Is there an excuse for violence? Um, which is completely opposite of, let's say, what you're taught, you know, as, as a youth growing up, you know, you have to defend yourself. There's always this, there's always that, a lot of violence surrounding um let's say urban communities across America, pretty much actually across the world. Uh, so what happened is um, I kind of bumped into this program. Uh, my mother was sitting in, one of my meetings was canceled. So they had, um, they had some snacks. So I sat down, I started listening and I started eating the snacks and like, Oh, wow. You know, and I had a, a bunch of aha moments back to back to back to back to back. And I'm just like, wow, how come they're not teaching this to the kids? And how come? And then all of a sudden I'm in the conversation and then all of a sudden I'm leading the conversation and all of a sudden I'm volunteering. And all of a sudden <laughs> I'm in the jail, you know, spending three days in, in um, county jail in the pre-release program, um, talking to individuals incarcerated for violent offenses and um kind of like I'm teaching them how to hone in on expressing their emotions versus lashing out and uh, understanding uh, commonalities between people that they would think they have no common ground with. And, um, and really understanding that, you know, the strength and the ability to uh, express yourself versus lash out and the consequences cause and effect and, you know, a bunch of different things that really helped me kind of gain a different focus. Um, it allowed me to communicate a lot better. Um, it was kind of like a, a gift that I received and, and I just wanted to share it with the entire world. So I kind of got immersed into that program. It's a program that existed in a, a 33 states at the time and 45 countries. Wow. Um, and it reduced recidivism. Uh, recidivism is when uh, you return to jail after being released. So it reduced recidivism from 60 to 80 percent. Damn. Um, yeah. What was that? Um, what was that like kind of stepping into that setting? Uh, was that, did that give you any particular insight into? into life, just going into the jail like that? Uh, honestly, I didn't think uh, when I first started volunteering, I just didn't think they would accept me because um, what you see is what you get with me. Um, even if I try to tone it down, I don't know how, kind of. Uh, so I walk in there, I got some shades and, you know, I'm dressed a certain way, a little loud, et cetera, et cetera. And they're all, you know, of course, 
um, in their resident, um, we use the term resident, in their resident uniform. Uh, and I'm thinking, wow, these guys are going to look at me like I must think I'm privileged. I must think uh, they must think I think I'm better than them because I have my freedom. I'm in here voluntarily where they actually don't have the option to leave at that point. And then I'm sitting in the mess hall with them. I'm eating the food with them. And, and I'm just thinking, uh, you know, I'm I'm just thinking, you know, this doesn't look right. Uh, someone's going to have a problem with this, et cetera. But it was completely the opposite of that. They really embraced me. They embraced uh, what we were bringing to the table. They really embraced the knowledge. And, you know, it, it was it was uh, it was very rewarding. And, and what it did for me when you asked, you know, what what it did for me. Yeah. Uh, so I would bring in uh, donuts and coffee. And um, the look on someone's face, uh, you know, uh, the joy that they could get off of a cup of coffee and a jelly donut from Dunkin' Donuts was just enough for me to understand that, um, you know, freedom and liberty is is really priceless. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and things that we kind of take for granted. So I, I did it a lot of times to keep me focused on uh, always making positive choices and being able to bring more positivity around me, you know? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I got, um, goosebumps twice stomping Jen, <laughs> um, hearing, hearing Freddie talk about that. Um, this might be the earliest in the podcast I've gotten goosebumps. So Uh-oh. yeah. Uh-oh. So goosebumps are good. Goosebumps are good. Yeah. So <laughs> early goosebumps. Yeah. Um, so is that program still happening? Um, so, uh, the way that it works is, uh, it, we were doing it and, and it was a lot of volunteers. Um, I was one of the ones spearheading it, but there was a lot of volunteers involved. We ended up training about 2,200 people in this program. It's a three-day program with a three-day follow-up. And then to become a trainer, there's another three days. So we ended up training about 2,200 people based off of just donations. There was no formal organization, um, and we just did it for free. So it took a lot of my time and energy. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, at the time I wasn't savvy enough to build a nonprofit organization around it to be able to fund the project and continue mm-hmm. its efforts. So I had to focus on paying my bills, uh, yeah. and I wasn't able to really, you know, give a hundred percent of myself to it, um, due to financial responsibilities, you know, that just life brings to you on a daily basis. So it kind of like, it took a, it took a back seat, but you know, it's, it's the passion is there. And ultimately, you know, it's, it's a focus I'd like to get back to at some point. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, thank you for doing that, you know, for any amount of time. That's, I think that's important work. You know, I think we often, I, I don't mean we, the, the, um, trying to count how many of us there are three right i don't what? think right. we the three of us um, <laughs> One, two, um three. <laughs> i don't mean us but i think as a society you know we 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 try to forget about people who have been incarcerated right lock them away and not think about them and i think outcast them yeah yeah and i think that's what's so um important about that work you were doing so yeah i, I think i think the difference is um you know, you have to understand, um, and and it's kind of like, it's a little, it's a little shocking to hear sometimes. You know, when we make statements like this, but like, you know, um, growing up in certain environments, um, it's kind of inevitable that you know you you will come across law enforcement issues, um, 
come across, you know, different situations that you might not come across in other environments. And, you know, it's, it's, you're thrown into these environments without any formal training or, you know, understanding of uh, right from wrong or, you know, lack of guidance. And, you know, I think it's important that those of us that do learn uh, ways to avoid conflict and, you know, not get caught up in situations uh, that we probably wouldn't want to be involved in, you know, it's, I think it's important that we share that knowledge, you know? Yeah, absolutely. One of the, one of the things when we were kind of corresponding um, back and forth about, about what we wanted to talk about tonight that you indicated um, was something you wanted to discuss was this idea of the the social climate. And you, you might have some thoughts about, about that right now. Okay, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Um, do you? Uh, and and I'm curious um, how you might how you might assess our social climate right now. Like where what what is happening around us? What are we seeing? Um, I think it's it's a process that I think it's been a long time coming. I think it's self identification, um, which is uh, even though there's there's a collective. Uh, social realm that we all live in and we all coincide with each other, et cetera. But I, I think it's coming back down to understanding yourself as an individual, as a human being, your, your your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, your identity, you know, exactly what you identify as, what what you want to be perceived as and, and you know, kind of controlling the narrative of who you are versus um, I think we're getting out of the era where everybody was telling you who you were and who you weren't and what you could do and what you can't do. I've been trying to defy that for a long time, but um, successfully, I don't know. I'm just me. But, um, you know, I think people are more OK with just being who they are truly, you know, where before, you know, people would say, hey, I'm this, I'm that publicly. But then they turn around and they're really not that person and they're just pretending to be where I think people are more um, available to self-identify now and say, you know, you know, I don't just because I belong, let's say to this political party doesn't mean I subscribe to this particular thought or this particular agenda, you know, as you see in, in the political world right now, you, you see people on both sides saying, yeah, but I don't totally agree with my side of politics. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of like what we're moving towards. Yeah. And do you think do you think social media is a a overwhelmingly positive or negative force? Like, do you have do you have any thoughts on that? You know, for me, it's like I think it's a mixed bag, right? Like for bag. for like a lot of the reasons you were saying, Freddie. Like, social media allows allows me to create the narrative of like who I want to be, who I'm aspiring to be, you know, who I, who I think I am now. Right. Um, it, it allows me that power too, but I also see a lot of negativity in social media and it's like easy to attack people like through social media. Right. And, you know, call, you know, call somebody an asshole through a tweet. Right. And when, if you were standing in front of that person, like you would never say something like that to them in person. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious if you have thoughts about that. Um, I would say that it, it's it's a balance of both. I, I believe that uh, those that might not have the confidence to be able to express their thoughts in person, 
uh, they get the platform to blurt out no matter how nervous they are when they hit that send button to blurt out an idea that's in their head that they normally wouldn't share in a room full of people uh, who like to always speak or you know, um, direct the conversation. So I believe that for those people, it does give them a platform to be able to express themselves and be part of a conversation that they normally wouldn't be. But then I, I also believe that um, for those who understand how to manipulate the system and, and manipulate the narrative, it, it does allow for uh, negativity and, and a storyline to be followed that normally wouldn't be followed. I, I think they can cause a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of stress, depression. I mean, if if we read something, you know, regarding, you know, some war going on, uh, you know, a million miles away, uh, you know, we, we, we automatically might jump into some anxious thoughts saying, oh, that could happen here. Oh, my God. And what's going on? And, you know, I, so I think it's a balance of it all. I think it affects everybody a little bit differently. Um, overall, though, I do think that social media was necessary because I, I think a lot of people are finding um, common ground with other people that normally wouldn't have found common ground. And I think that um, if used correctly, I mean, it can change the entire world. It has. I mean, it's elected presidents, you know? Yeah, I agree with that last part you said when it's you know, when it's deployed correctly or thoughtfully, yeah. it has the capacity to change to change the world. And I, and I, like, when I think about it and I reflect on it, I think the vast amount of interactions I've had around it are positive. Social media, yeah. But I also try to be mindful of that too. Yeah. But early on, I had my moments. You know, like when I was first, and it's like a process. You have to learn how to use it. Like when Facebook first started, like I remember. I don't know. I would say I said nasty things to people. You did? Yeah. I think I did. Did you? Yeah, but I but I learned and I grew and I decided, you know what? I don't, I'm not feeling good about this. This is terrible. You never say nasty things any longer? Not in writing. Mm. <laughs> I do. Is that true? Do I? Uh, I think you are snarky. No, but that's different, though. I'm trying yeah. to be funny, right? <laughs> trying to be funny. Yeah. But your funny might not be funny to someone else. Yes. Which I've, I've, I've learned at times. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really good point. So I, I've, I've taught this podcast workshop many times, right, in, mm-hmm. in my kind of my other life. And one of the biggest points of advice I give people is don't try to be funny. <laughs> If you're right. not, because I always. That is the most ironic piece of advice I've I know. ever heard. But I'm not trying to be funny. Oh, I'm you just, just think you're naturally funny? Is that what's uh, No, I'm just being here? myself, Stomping Jim. Oh, I see. Um, I see. Yeah. Um, you want to s- say more about that? About what? <laughs> yes, please. You've knocked me off. You've, you've knocked me off kilter. I know. That's why it's funny. Right. Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. And. So, <laughs> what's up? I'm gonna come over there and I'm gonna jump across his table. Freddie, you should see the look he's giving me. <laughs> <laughs> if this were a tweet exchange, you wouldn't be doing this to me. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, come on, it's funny. No, it is, and and you know what? I think like this, for example, like I would, l- I wish we could be in person talking, right? right. 
Because I, I just like I feel like nothing beats connecting in person, mm-hmm. right? Um, right, for of sure. Um, am I right about that, Stomping Jim? Yes, and finish it. And what? No, yes, and you know the convenience of being able to you know be on a computer in your own home and not have to travel and not have to inconvenience you know everybody by commuting and driving and. That's a bonus. It's a bonus, yeah. but you know the trade-off is right. You're not in person. You're not hanging out. Yeah. You know, I don't know. There's pros and cons. Yeah. To everything in life, I think. Hmm. But people need to talk, right? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is has been swirling around in this this social climate that we all need to talk about more and keep talking about is race and racism. Right. Correct. Um, correct. And, you know, I, I've said before to people we've talked to on this show before is like, nobody ever taught me how to talk about race and racism. Right. As a, right. as a, as a, as a white guy who grew up in a like 98% white community Right. The first people I met who didn't look like me were when I was like 18 and thrown into the army. And I was like, wow, there are lots of different people out there with d- different perspectives and come from different cultures and, um, you know, don't see the world the way I do. And I've told this story before, Freddie, like I was, um, it's when I was in Korea and I was... I was at a magazine rack looking at magazines in our kind of like bookstore. And I had been assigned to go away for a month on this field exercise with a, with a bunch of people. And I noticed one of the guys was standing next to me. He was this um, um, black gentleman from Jamaica. And we kind of we looked at each other and was like, hey. And he, and he comes over to me. He goes, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, I don't really have never known any white people before and I'm afraid of you all. Right. And that kind of was the first major perspective reset for me in my life. I was like, well, what do you mean you would be afraid of white people? (laughs) And he's like, sit down and let me talk to you friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it started this really great friendship. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, but you know, like again, as a as a white guy who grew up in a primarily white community, it, like no one had ever, no one ever ever taught racism in an authentic way to me in in school, and just mm-hmm. I was so clueless. So, mm-hmm. um, like, why why the hell don't we teach people about in an authentic way about racism and how to talk about race and racism? Uh, direct answer. Yeah, please. Is going to be because we haven't figured out how to. Um, I think overall, the conversation, the the, you know, some people might think that in order to let's say be able to relate and uh really identify with others that are not of your race that you have to minimize your pride in yourself and your race. And I think, you know, finding that balance between um, being proud of who you are without shaming someone because they're not like you, that balance in between is is hard to get to because of the fact of, like you said, um, 
you know, when the gentleman said, sit down for him, let me explain, you know, um, I, I have a different experience where I actually, you know, I came from Puerto Rico when I was three months old. Um, and then when I was about six years old, I moved into a 98% black community, um, in which I was actually, you know, I didn't, you know, although I, you know, although there are a lot of similarities, there are a lot of differences as well. Um, and, and that took a while for me to, um, assimilate to being accepted in that world as well. And, and I think it comes from, um, I think it comes from, you know, historically, uh, if, if you look back in history, I mean, people always, communities were built based on people that looked like you, talked like you, walked like you, even shared the same religious views as you, um, even to the point of the way you went to church, uh, the way you dressed, the way when, when you start getting into major cities being developed and you have all of these different cultures coming to one place. Um, and then they say, you're all the same. I think we don't embrace our differences enough, you know, to say, you know, this is your culture and, and wow, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Um, and let me share a little bit of my culture instead of they, you know, it's more of a, let's create this American culture, which is really just a lot of different, beautiful cultures coming together and coexisting. And I think that we don't, I don't I don't think we share our um, the beauty in our differences as much as we should, you know, and, and we try to change people and make them assimilate to us or try to relate to them based on what we think and what we see and how we feel. But we don't we don't embrace our differences enough, you know. Yeah, I like that. And that and I think that's why when people say stuff like, oh, well, I don't see race. Right. Well, no, you you should see people's differences and try to get to appreciate them and correct and you know and engage with them around who they believe themselves to be and what they mm-hmm. represent um you know and i like and i'm grateful for the fact that i traveled out of that um area i was in and didn't stay there because um you know i got I got that early lesson in my life. I was 18, you know, mm-hmm. and th- I mean, thankfully, I, I mean, I wish it had come sooner, but still, mm-hmm. um, I think that was, I think that was an important, important lesson, Stomping Jen. Was it? It was for me, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, Stomping Jen, did you, uh, did you ever go into like a shock of differences of culture? Mm. Yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey and uh, in a predominantly uh, Jewish-Italian type of environment, right? So, like, everybody <laughs> that I knew was either, like, you know, they came from Jewish New York. Italian. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like an hour from New York City, and it was the suburbs. It was, you know, the early 80s where people were, you know, commuting out of the city and moving into these suburbs. So, um going to school up in Massachusetts and the New England, you know, the really like, you know, waspy, Protestanty, like, you know, environment, uh, you know, the Pioneer Valley is not quite like that. But, you know, where we live here in Belchertown, you know, there's not a lot of, of Jews. Basically, when my when I told right. my family we were gonna settle and, you know, 
stake our claim here in Massachusetts, my parents like looked at me and they were like, why? <laughs> they were like, there are no Jews that live here, you know? And I was like, well, there's Jews that live here. You know, there's synagogues here, there, and, 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 and uh, you know, not, not so close, but yeah, you know, but so, it, you know, for that, for, for that, for most of those reasons, you know, it was pretty, it's pretty different than when I, than where I grew up. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question though. Yeah. Um, so let's say you move into a community of non-Jews yeah. um, and there's not uh, many Jews around. Right. Uh, were you treated differently because of that? Well, I mean, yes, uh, Freddie, like we were at my, my, the house I grew up in with my grandmother, right? This is yes. a horrible story, but yes. it's absolutely true. <laughs> it's um, we, we were talking about buying something and, and my grandmother without, you know, at this point she was in her mid, mid eighties, maybe approaching 90, but, um, you know, she's like, oh, don't worry, you'll be able to Jew them down. <laughs> and we're like, right. Right. What? Right. right. But she it, wasn't even uh, thinking about it. She wasn't, and, but that's part of the problem right, it's part too. Of the problem. Right? right. Because she knew you were. She knew you were Jewish. Jewish. Right. You can't even say the word, can you? <laughs> I can. Um, but I'm no, just. I mean, I'm just horrified yeah, that I had a, a racist grandmother. I mean, it's more like people are oblivious and they don't think about it. Like you right. know, I'm on the select board. If there's a Jewish holiday, I mean, this is the thing that really pisses me off. So, like, in New Jersey area, you get all the Jewish holidays off, basically, for in, in the school system, right? And so, my kids, I'm always like, no, I'm going to pull them out for the Jewish holidays. And they, nine times out of ten, they don't put it as an excused absence, and I have to go, and I have to complain. You know, like, no, it's, you know, a religious holiday, you know, like, you know. Right. I, I'm, my kids are not going to school, you know, they're going to go to synagogue or whatever, but... Yeah, so things like that are always like kind of, eh, you know, just the obliviousness of it, you know, like, oh, we're right. just going to have this um, meeting and, you know, they don't realize, you know, because why would they? It's not part of the Correct. the quote unquote norm. So, yeah. And and um, I do travel to like Latin America. I go to the Dominican Republic. I go to Colombia. I go to Puerto Rico. Um and it's it's a little different when it's like everybody's Latin, mm -hmm. everybody's, you know, everybody's Spanish speaking, everybody's uh, culture is, you know, similar. I'm sure if you go to Italy or you go to Ireland or, you know, everybody shares the same type of culture, the same, you know, they walk, talk, act the same, you know. Um, I guess comparing the way those worlds function in comparison to how America functions, America functions not on culture, not on, um, it, it really functions based on capitalism at the end of the day, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. and, and, and how it works where these other countries, uh, the capitalist approach or the socialist approach or whatever it is, it's based on, uh, an effect of the culture versus here, the culture is an effect of, you know, the, the, the way society is ran and, and we all cater to this capitalistic society. You know, I was listening to the podcast where you guys said you had to talk to a financial advisor, even though, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, that's what I mean. It's like, um, 
well, we have to get set up for retirement. We have to do this. We have to do that. Right. We have to do this. Whereas in uh, Latin American cultures, like, well, we have to catch that sunset. We have to catch that wave. We have to go taste that food. We'll worry about that retirement stuff later. We'll worry about this. We'll worry about that. Right. So, you know, it, it, it really shapes the way that um, we as a society kind of function in the culture that it creates where, um, you know, lately I, I, you know, with the whole, uh, let's say, you know, the president that we just had, uh, Trump, yeah. you know, he, he comes from, um, let's say, a background where he was brought up to think a certain way and, and not look at a certain group of people, you know, with with, um, let's say, the same level of respect he would look at his own people. And I'm not going to say any particular group of people, but let's say, you know, they're very proud to be who they are. Um, so in America, the only thing is that you know, in politics, uh, which which basically runs the whole economy and everything else in this country, it's based on the ideologies of um, groups that got here first and then who got here after. And if you follow the history of America and, you know, all of the different groups, like if you read a article of um, Irishmen in the 1800s and then you compare it to, let's say, just because I'm Puerto Rican, I'm going to use the Puerto Ricans. And then you you read an article on Puerto Ricans today. It's it's like the same as the Irish history in the 1800s. You right. know, yeah. it's, so it's it's kind of like okay, well, we got here, we 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 worked together, we grouped up, and now we have police officers and firefighters and school teachers and lawyers and politicians. And until you can get to that point, and you're able to articulate. A conversation like we're having right now it's it's kind of like you have no um uh political value in this Mm -hmm. in this country maybe you know yeah and it's and it's interesting something i think to myself all the time and i and it goes back to what you were talking about how our, our values are really capitalistic values like poor people across demographics have more in common with each other you know, then they do differences, I think, like people who are struggling um, and, and can't get a leg up because of the, some of the systems that are in place to keep people poor, you know, they, I right. feel like, I'm, yeah, I'm waiting. Yeah, that's all I just wanted to oh, say, that's like, it? Okay. like, and, and, and like with the disappearing, we're going to say more there and, and just like with the disappearing middle class, right. Mm-hmm. And the disparity in wealth, right. I think more and more people are going to find hopefully solidarity in that discrepancy. I want to go back to what Freddie was just saying, where, you know, the measure of success is how much money you can accrue, right. To set yourself. And I, I like that concept of like, you know, how can we go catch that sunset? And like, what is, what is important? Why are we in this rat race? Like of success, you know, like you and I sawtooth have this conversation all the time. Like, Oh, we don't have a bigger house or, Oh, we don't have a fancy car or whatever. And I'm like, these are, you know, the decisions that we made and the values that we are holding, you know, we have enough, like we don't need more. And I'm not going to drive myself personally crazy to make more for what purpose? I'd rather spend time with my kids or, you know. What about me? You know what I mean? <laughs> you, of course, too, but like going on vacation or whatever. By default. You know? By default. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're just yeah. included as part of the kids. All right. Because <laughs> you're one of the kids. 
It's, it's like when you talk about the remote control, the batteries are there. You just assume they're there. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But, no. you know, like, I love that, you know, like, why should how much money I have in the bank be the measure upon which people see me as a success? But they will well, judge you. They will judge me, but I don't Correct. give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened, though, is um, before you would be able to survive off of a lot less than what you right. can survive off of today. Right. Um, right. So you were able to kind of say, you know what, um, I'll do the minimum and I'll live a great life because... Life is not about, you know, this, this, and that. But then all of a sudden your rent is four times what right. it used to be. True. So you can't spend as much time on the beach. You can't, right. you know, spend as much time, you know, doing what you want to do. You you spend more time doing what you have to do. Right. And, you know, that's kind of what sucks about the rat race. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you're always chasing, trying to get ahead. And then you have one rainy day and it knocks down all that time of progress and you got to start over. And then mentally you're never doing enough. And then you, you're competing with all these images and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of values that they teach you and say, this is what it's supposed to look like. And you're measuring yourself against the supposed to. And um, a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. Um, Going back to the social media conversation, you know, those people who put out this, you know, perfect life and, you know, oh, you should strive, you know, there's a lot of like, I don't know if you know anything about like mommy bloggers, you know, this like unrealistic expectations of put upon women to, you know, have a family and look beautiful when they step outside the house and, you know, yeah, and have a job and do this and do that. Yeah. It's not realistic. Right. I think it leads to depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, just a lot of pressure. And I I think it's, it it sucks the joy out of life sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you, Freddie, how do you balance the rat race, right? Um, you know, having enough versus what you want to accomplish professionally, but also being able to do that stuff, like go on vacation. Like I, I saw on your Instagram a while back, you were on the plane, you know, with your mom and, you know, so you, you know, you got you know, you got to go somewhere with, with her. So this is, this is how I balance it out. I've been in both worlds, right? I've been to the point that I'm making tons of money and it just doesn't end and everything is great and life is whatever you want. And then I've been to the point that I'm just like, Ooh, I'm hungry and have no idea how I'm going to eat, you know? So, um, you know, I'm a father of three. Um, and I've been at the point that, you know, I legitimately would have to sit there and think, how am I going to uh, provide a meal for these kids when I've done nothing but give of myself um, and and not gain financial return on a lot of things? And, you know, the real estate market crashed at one point. Um, I've been doing this 20 years now. So, you know, I've been through the ups and downs. Um, I, I, I got to the point that, you know, I was really trying to live that rat race. I had the suits on, the, the, you know, the ties on all the time. Um, I got more dressed up when I didn't have a dollar in my pocket than when I did have a dollar in my pocket, you know? So mm-hmm. um, I think it, it just got to the point that you just say, you know what, take everything. I can start from scratch. Um, I can figure it out. I can go, you know, wash dishes for a meal. Like, I mean, I mean, just starting back to basics to say, you know what, I don't need to be here. You know, I'm okay with justice and just getting back to the basics of, 
um, being appreciative of like having a meal in front of you. Then all of a sudden you have a meal in front of you for the month. Then you have a meal for everyone around you. And then all of a sudden they're creating more meals for people around them. And just focusing on the basics again, instead of trying to put that pressure of some image that, you know, you, you want to live up to or, some type of unrealistic financial goal that, you know, you're willing to give up all your joy and your sanity for. I just, it's not worth it to me, honestly, because um, what I've learned is that I can travel to Latin America and uh, $50 is going to give me a good, probably three days worth of decent meals. And, you know, I don't really need as much as, as I, as I think I do. And, you know, that's helped me a, a lot just to understand what you can do with, with very little, you know? Yeah. That's good advice. I like that. But but I will say there's a balance. Um yeah. uh when I'm doing good, uh I do treat myself sometimes. So, you know, but if I'm not doing good, I won't treat myself. Yeah. I think that's that's the balance mm-hmm, of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I live in, I've been conditioned to live in constant fear. You know this. <laughs> yes, I'm, you have. I have no reason to believe it, but I'm always like fearful, you know, like, oh, I'm going to lose my job and then that's going to set off a domino effect. Right. I'm going to lose everything. And what do I everything. always say to what you? What do you say? You tell me. What do I tell you? It's going to be all right. Jump in it's going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put on Go my- find something else. That's right. You do say that. All the time. Hmm. Right. I think I got to listen to you more. Oh, thanks. I love that talking to Freddie has since convinced you of this fact. Inspired him. <laughs> yes. Um, now. I want to know more about the real estate. Yeah, I do too. Okay. Tell, tell us about it. Holmes right, Logic. So Holmes Logic Real Estate uh, founded uh, now three and a half, four years ago. Um, it, it was basically founded on a concept that... Uh, we needed more real estate agent friendly agencies, uh, which meant uh, you join some of these agencies and, and the fees are ridiculous for you to try to make some money. You got to get in and pay this, pay that. You got to walk, talk, act like um, it just gets back to providing real customer service to the people and educating the people and not allowing them to make um, uneducated decisions and protecting them from everything else and not really worrying about the check. You know, our, our philosophy is uh, the more people you help, the more money you make um, versus we don't have sales goals and quotas and, you know, this, this, and that's like, well, how many people can you help? You know, what's, you know, in every single individual We take them on a case by case basis. Um, This is how we can help them. This is the best plan. These are the best people to bring in on it. Um, And, 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 you know, that's our approach in general. We just help a lot of people. We don't focus on the checks. But I got into real estate. Um, I had gotten uh, laid off of uh, corporate America when I was uh, I was like 20. I was one of the youngest business analysts for General Electric. and, And at the time, they were the largest company in the world. So I had gone through like. Uh, their management trainings mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was leading maybe 35, 40 people. And then I was a business analyst, had a few of the presidents reporting to me. So I kind of got thrown into that really fast and, you know, I'm an improviser and I learned quick. So I was able to just be quick on my feet and just keep advancing. But when I got let go, um, I had to think, you know, now money and that threw me into real estate. So, you know, mm-hmm. I've never looked back. It's been 20 years now. So what's, um, What's satisfying about the real estate work that you do? 
the the satisfying pieces are when um someone looks at me and they say, you know, I never thought I would get through this process and you made it so easy and so simple. I never felt like I didn't have full control of the outcome of, you know, the process, et cetera. You know, I, I think that's big because I think a lot of people, um, you know, they want to keep moving and they say, Hey, just trust me on the process. Don't worry. I won't lead you astray where me, you know, we're going to sit down and explain the process and say, do you feel like you're being led astray? Is there anything that you don't understand is, you know, where are we here? And, and, and giving them clear, um, choices on every step of the way and saying you have, these are your options right now. A lot of times, um, you know, and I'm not going to badmouth anybody because I think, you know, everybody ultimately tries to do their best, but sometimes, you know, options that would not benefit a real estate professional might not be presented because, you know, you know, if you worked with someone six months now, all of a sudden, they're going to back out. You don't get paid for your services for that time. So, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe not everything is disclosed and, you know, our whole business is based on ethics. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That must be really scary. If that happens, you've spent all of that time working with somebody and then they, do they, do they ever just like ghost you? Yeah, of course. Oh, God. Of course. Uh, you know, everybody everybody knows a real estate agent. I'm sure you can go through any of your social media and point out 15 in the yeah. next. I could, give, I could probably give you a minute and a half. You probably come back with at least 15, yeah. you know. Um, so, I mean, me, I'm fortunate that I have a long history of doing real estate. So people just, you know, they gravitate towards me because of that. Um, but it's part of the business. You can't be mad if someone someone's life circumstance changes and they can't close on a property or, you know, something's wrong with the property or if some financing falls through, it's, 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 it's part of the process, you know, yeah. you're not going to get everyone across the finish line, but you know, the law of averages, this one, you might've wasted your time, but then you might have three transactions that are smooth and things go great. So is it, is it hard um, to find agents um, who align with your, like ethical um, values. Um, values. Thank you, Stomping Jen. Uh, it has not been. Uh, most of the agents that work with us right now, there's uh, nine of us total. Um, they all share the same values and beliefs and, and, you know, they've been there from the beginning pretty much. And um, we haven't really been recruiting mm -hmm. besides that. Uh, because we believe that uh, uh, everyone on our team has to be kind of overwhelmed before we start bringing a bunch of other people on and training them to the way we do business. Uh, but it it is if you try to bring a check chaser, you know, we'll call them check chasers, a check chasing agent to a system that focuses on the quality of the customer service and them being involved a lot more in the process um, you, you're not going to be able to, that, that's not a fit for everyone, you know, and, and not to say that it, it, that any other way is wrong. Everyone has their own style and, and yeah. way of approaching the business, but no, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't work for everyone. You, you have to be committed to, um, you know, we, our audit process starts from day one, whereas in, um, we're making sure that, you're doing everything possible for your client, et cetera. And, you know, we're involved from the beginning to make sure that that happens. So it, it wouldn't work for everyone, but. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you um, have lived 
in and around Springfield, uh, Massachusetts, which is a which is a large city in Western Massachusetts out here for most of your life. Do you do most of your real estate work in and around Springfield? Yeah, um, my focus has always been Western Massachusetts. Um, as of a couple of years ago, we moved into Northern Connecticut as well. So Western Mass, which is like the greater Springfield area, yeah. uh, we'll go as far as we touch, maybe East Hampton, Northampton, um, Connecticut. Uh, in Connecticut, we'll go like Hartford, Enfield, Windsor, maybe as far as New Haven. Sometimes we don't go that far, but, mm-hmm. you know, just this whole Northern Connecticut, uh, Western Massachusetts, I think it's called the Knowledge Quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, pretty 91. much. Yeah. Right. That's that's pretty much our focus. Yeah. Right around 91. New Haven's pretty far down there. That's very far. It is. But it, if the deal is right, we're yeah. going down. <laughs> yeah. 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 What's um? Yeah. I have a question. Oh, go ahead, please. What is the difference between like commercial and residential real estate? Oh, great question. Uh, two different worlds. So um, <laughs> I've been doing commercial real estate separately. Um, so commercial real estate is a completely different language. It's 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 it's. Um, I don't want to say it's real real estate, but it's it's a lot more technical. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more involved with it. Uh, you get into environmentals, you get into, uh, you know, build outs, you get into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a whole different language. It's, yeah. I'll give you an example. So a residential um, agent will come in and sell one of the units in the mobile home park. Mm-hmm. A commercial agent will come in and sell the mobile home park. Right, mm. right, right, right. Yeah. So I've done both. You okay. Know. Yeah. Is there is one more or I don't even know if this is the right way to ask the question, but I'm going to ask it because it came into my head misformed. Is one more or less like rewarding than the other? Like I would imagine when you're putting somebody in a home, right? They're going to live there. You know, that might represent uh, a lifelong dream for them to be a first time homeowner or something. But then I was thinking to myself, okay, but on the commercial side, this might be the start of somebody's business. Like also, right. Also a lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. Why am I always trying to make things better, one better than the other? I don't know. That's what I tried They're to completely do. Different. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is there, are they just different experiences? It's completely different experiences. I, I, I will say um, commercial world has no emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. Where the residential world, there's tons of emotion. It's where your dog is going. It's where your children are being raised. It's where you and your family are going to live. It's your sanctuary, as well as an investment. Um, whereas in commercial, you know, it's mostly an investment. It's mostly um, a financial factor. Um, sometimes businesses are starting a new venture and stuff like that. But in the commercial world, you're you're not worried about the soft um emotions that come with it you're mm-hmm. more about okay projections um realistic uh cost of this and making sure that terms and conditions of contracts are are thoroughly thought out and and that they're protected legally from being sued in the future and and making sure they get you know what they're supposed to get we're residential um i hate to compare it but i have to it's, it's kind of like you buy a used car or a new car um, there's plumbing, electric, heating, foundation, roof, windows, 
uh, floor plan, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but with commercial, there's, um, there's net charges. So like, let's right. say you rent, you rent the storefront. Sometimes you don't know that you have to pay for your portion of the common area maintenance, which means the grounds, which means landscaping, which means uh, snow removal, um, taxes. You have to pay your portion of the taxes sometimes. Um, how things renew, if you're able to lease to a friend of yours who wants to rent the booth off of you or et cetera, et cetera. There's just so many nuances to mm-hmm, commercial mm-hmm. real estate that if you miss something, then you can set your client up for a trap. Jesus, there's so much to know. I don't think I could do this. Well, that's why you're not a real estate broker. <laughs> right. You never will be. How do you know? Unless, uh, unless that's what you want to be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know him. He's not. He's not interested. <laughs> yeah. What other community projects? You said something about uh, boards that you're on and... Stuff. Uh, I do serve as a treasurer as one of our local uh, charter schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I've served as uh, vice president to one of our community organizations. Um, I get involved. We, we've done um, we have a cultural parade called the Puerto Rican Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of the largest in New England. Um, you know, I've been involved in that in the past and, and a high supporter of it now. Um, I've worked with the casino when they came in to try to make sure there were minorities, women, mm-hmm. um, vets and residents that were hired there for construction. Um, and you know what, just, just supporting other people's causes, you mm-hmm. know, when, when they might need, you know, a helping hand and, you know, we've given out tons of charity, mm-hmm. you know, turkeys, the basics, you know, yeah. um, just, just try to do my little part, you know, yeah. I, I'm a little, I'm a little drop of a whole ocean of people who really give back to the community and really try to help our communities out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see um, any changes in Springfield since uh, you were three months and moved here? I do. I, I do think there needs to be a lot more changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're moving in that direction. I, I'm mm-hmm. just looking forward to future candidates to be able to take on leadership that might have a uh, might have a different approach to running a municipality mm. let's say if, mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. you know yep yeah I t- I t- I t- oh, go ahead Stone. I was just gonna say there's some cool energy that's been bubbling up recently I tell people this noticed. all the oh sorry all the time is that I, I really love and appreciate Springfield. Um, I had never really been down there and spent time in the city until um, our leadership program. Yes, right, and it was such an eye opener for me. Like it's just it's such a great resource. There are so many cool things there to do. Um, recently on the podcast, um, we had. Um, a woman there who runs um, a program Fresh Paint called Springfield. Yeah, Fresh Paint Springfield, which is like a mural project that's happening in Springfield. But yeah, it's it's amazing. Yes, I I know which one it is. Yeah. yeah, but I tell people all the time, like go down there and like experience the city because it really there's so much to mm-hmm. do there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. We're gonna go down there. We are. <laughs> when? When our kids are gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Oh, is this where do you guys live now? Uh, Belchertown. Um, oh, yeah, we did. We did say that. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are like, you guys are right here. You, you're oh, yeah. Right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, we're super close to spring. We yeah. can get we can get there in 20 fif- minutes, 15, 20 yeah. minutes, which 20 we love. Minutes to downtown. Yeah. Which we love. Right. Um, yeah. Except yeah. those darn kids. I, I will say this. I will yeah. say that, um, you know, because, you know, I sit on the um, city's tax committee mm-hmm. and uh, we always have this uh, discussion every year on how we how businesses versus residents should share the tax burden mm-hmm. and and, you know, weighing the scales of that. Um, but I will say that MGM came in and, and invested a, a billion dollars into one site and that has uh triggered more businesses to come in and and um i i believe that springfield has always had a uh perception of safety issue mm-hmm. um you know where where those uh such as you know people from belchertown yep. or you know mm-hmm. some of the surrounding yep. areas even though they say oh wow that'd be great to go there but i think i'll pass and i'll go to this side of things um I think that that has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I I believe that um actually visually you see it where um now you know downtown Springfield you see um people walking their dogs at night. Let's say young ladies uh mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, walking their dogs at night where it's not something that you used to see. Um I would say the mayor and and Springfield police you know they they've They've done, um, they've tried many different things to kind of curve that, including involving um, different community organizations and and coming together and and trying to understand the perception of safety and and what it'll take. So like the city of Springfield's invested in, we call them cop in a box. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So there's, there's a police officer in there, um, you know, monitoring the area. And I I think overall, um, you know, we're not, I think overall, we're just not stuck in the nineties anymore. I feel mm-hmm. like we were all stuck in the nineties for a while, but I think Springfield has really come a long way. People call now and ask, where are your luxury apartments? And oh. I kind of, right. And I say, <laughs> we're not there yet. You know, we're, we're getting there, but it's, it's good to, to really hear people um, from a different tax bracket, let's say yeah. um, are willing to come in and live in Springfield, which mm-hmm. is something that, you know, before they weren't willing to do. Yeah. Is that, do you see all positives or, you know, for, I know that the term gentrification gets thrown around a lot. So like, you know, where the luxury apartments get built and then the people who actually live there can't then afford to live there any longer. Right. But, um, thanks, thanks, thanks to, uh, discriminatory laws, uh, you can't discriminate on someone due to their financial status. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what happens is, let's say an apartment goes from a thousand to eighteen hundred dollars a month. All of a sudden, right? Um, if someone has a Section Eight voucher, a subsidy, some type of subsidy, uh, that subsidy has to pay up to market rent. Uh-huh. So it's 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 just a larger subsidy. Now, the people who do get pushed out is when they have these guidelines that say well, the tenant has to pay this portion of the rent. Let's say it's, you know, whatever percentage of the rent that is is um, stated that they have to pay. If they can't afford their portion of the rent, then they have to go. And, you know, that's kind of what happens. Um, gentrification, I live on both sides of that. Yeah. Um, because 
I help commercial developers come in and, and, you know, um, add value to properties and, you know, um, and then I also help those who come from humble beginnings who might not have the resources to, you know, to get to that level. I I try to help them understand how they can get into programs where there's grants, Mm -hmm. um, there's different, um, you know, types of housing, let's say 203k rehab loans, where they can buy a house and keep the equity if they fix it themselves and they manage the project. Um, You know, it's a balance of both. So while I'm helping this guy over here spend his multi-millions in buying this whole area, Mm -hmm. I'm helping this other person over here uh, get into a property with $3,000 total from beginning to end. So, you know, it's, I can't stop. I can't stop the gentrification process. And, and, and it's um, Springfield. When, when the casino was coming in, I believe that they stated there was 11,000 jobs, job openings. Um, So that kind of started moving people here. And and we have a lot of beautiful, great creative people in Springfield um, who, who, who have a lot of Mm self-expression and that's starting to be seen in the entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. world where, Uh, you know, Generation X right Mm -hmm. now is starting to open their businesses and then Generation Y is like, hey, we're right behind you. And, um, you know, and then we have also people who come from these demographics and and these settings in the political world. And we we have uh, people from our community. um, You know, I'm going to give an example. I'm going to say Adam Gomez, who's the first Puerto Rican senator in Massachusetts. I mean, he's walking in with a suit and some Jordans. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's and 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 um the words that come out of uh politicians that that are homegrown from Springfield they maintain that they don't they they're still uh the Springfield resident and you know that humble um you know we we just like some direction you know we're here students etc that approach to politics mm-hmm. i think it, it's done a lot for our community yeah who is the um fashion designer from Springfield is it Devin Davon, who, oh. and what, and he, um, you know, he's he's building a brand. He's out of out of the city. And what I like about this character is, um, he makes shoes for um, men with small feet. Stomping Jen. <laughs> wow. I have very small feet. <laughs> now I for, now because you butchered his name, I don't remember well, it. Um, we'll post it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I have never heard. Oh, you of haven't heard shoes for small. feet. For men with small feet. Yeah. I yeah. I think that's amazing. <laughs> it's, a pr- it's a problem. Oh, no, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but... Um, and they're fashionable. Uh, they're I'm, awesome. Why am I blanking? Um, who is the woman who runs the hub? Tiana in Spring- Ray. Tiana Ray Tiana uh, Burnett. Um, yeah. Another entrepreneur in and Springfield. Um, you know, opened up this kind of like social center in yeah, downtown Springfield right. called Springfield called the hub anyways. Yeah, and they're partnering with all these awesome restaurants, but and they're all like doing some yeah, great stuff. You know, we, we had her on the podcast when she had a different venture going and, um, she had posted about this fashion designer from Springfield. That's how I think stomping Jen found out about it. Got me this present. It was mm-hmm. like some beard butter and body butter mm-hmm. and no small shoes though, but maybe that'll be next year. Um, so yeah. Um, that kind of Devin Davon. Devin Davon. That's what I said. Is that okay. what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, so if you know anyone with small feet, um, find it send him his right. way. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I mean, and, and that must be exciting to play a role in the development 
of an area. You know, you're kind of helping lay the foundation for what, you know, will, will come. Yeah. I mean, I've been working with the community for 20 years, I would say. Um, but honestly, I, I, I mean, I don't really take any credit for helping lay the foundation of that because if, if, if you, if you saw it from my point of view, there are so many people in Springfield that bring positivity and, and ideas and help other people really accomplish their goals and, and kind of like mentor people, even if it's indirectly. Um, and then there's a lot of those that are just the examples who, you know, they, they move forward and on their plans and then other people see them and say, Oh, that's inspirational. I can do mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I love that. All right. Um, as we're winding down, um, Freddie, I just wanted to ask you if you had anything that you wanted to make sure we touched on that we did that we didn't get to. And keep in mind, we can have you back in the future too. Yeah, I, I think um, I think ultimately, I think we we as a and and I'm assuming you're both Generation Xers, right? Oh yeah, I am. Are we? Okay. Yeah, are se- we? Seventy-four. I'm a. What is right. the? I'm a. You're a, you're Gen X, seventy-eight. What? <laughs> I'm in yeah. that little micro. Yeah, no, oh, I'm 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 right there with you. I'm the same year. Yeah. So, um, I believe that um, Gen X has to take leadership of um, selflessness and kind of forget about our role in history and make sure that it transitions correctly, so that um, you know the 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 I feel like the generation before us held on to leadership and power way too oh long. Oh my god, so much. Yeah, yeah they, still they didn't. I mean, I'm middle age. If 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 I'm gonna live to 85, I'm middle age, right? Right. So, but they want me to wait till I'm like 70 to say I'm middle age. I'm like, no, that's not middle right. age. And you know, the the perception of you know, I, they say this young guy, this young guy. I'm like, well, my daughter's in college. You know? Yeah. So they're like, this young guy, this young guy. And I'm like, no, I'm not that young. And and I I feel like Gen X. Um, I think we have a lot of responsibility to make sure that. Um, the next generation kind of like feels confident in taking the leadership roles mm-hmm. of, yeah. of articulating the thoughts of like the collective, let's yeah. say. Why won't yeah. they let go? And get them ready so they can step up earlier. Right. right? Why won't they let right. go? I really, like I struggle with this all the time. Power and money. I identity. I, th- I think they just, I think it's part of their identity. That is true. It, that is true. What happens. That is yeah. very true. You've hit the nail on, on the head there, I think. Yeah. All right. We're going to ask you two fun questions, Freddie. We're okay. going to let, we're going to let you off the hook. The high pressure okay. questions are over. Um, okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, high pressure. <laughs> all right. So we've heard you're, you've got your hands in a lot of pots. This real estate, um, mm-hmm. community projects, right. your awesome Instagram page. Right. Um, what What do you do for fun? How do you How do you reward yourself? What do you like to do to just relax and get back to Freddie? Um, I like putting my phone on airplane mode. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I like shutting my phone off. I feel like in uh, 2021, that's a reward. That's I think that's kind of a luxury for a salesperson in 2021 to, to be able to just shut off his phone. Um, I don't, I'm not able to do it as much, but um, I, I make music. Um, I've been in music forever. I've been making music since I was six. I'm into hip hop, rap, et cetera. Um, I'm into making music videos. I'm into uh, uh, anything creative, um, getting into some films and stuff like that. Just, you know, anything creative and, 
anything physical, outdoor, physical activity, you know, any, anything like that, anything that's going to allow me to um, enjoy myself while releasing some stress, let's say. But I, I do like to travel um, and I'm not really a planner. So if if spirit sends me an email and it says fly, you know, within the next 10 days for like twelve dollars. Yeah, I'm gone. You know? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I I admire yeah. that kind of spontaneity. Hey, uh, Sawtooth is not spontaneous. No, in any regard. No, somebody texts me and says, hey, can you come over tonight for a hangout? Yeah. I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm, Stopping Jen and I have to have a meeting about it. No. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have this one friend who like consistently like will be like at like midday. Oh, you want to come over tonight? And like, no, you have to like give us a week. Yeah. Right. right <laughs> it doesn't right. work. I, 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 work. I love and admire that, that spontaneity. Um, <laughs> all right. Our last question. Um, and you can interpret this any way you want to. Um, sure. All right. Um, what have you experienced in life that you can't explain? What's what's in a what's a mystery to you? All right, I don't know if you guys are ready. I'm, I'm ready. Let me put on the spooky music. Here we go. Uh, he okay. seems prepared for There's this some spooky music. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. Okay. All right. So uh, the commencement of the golden ages. Um, I'm into this, uh, so I believe the Mayan prophecies and and the the end of an era took place uh, in 2020, uh, and I believe that now um, I'm a little bit of a spiritual guy, okay. and I believe that now um, I think the dark ages are over and we're able to tap into more positive energy that kind of was locked out to us for a while in the dark ages, which is uh, every like 26,000 years, I think it is, that it changes over. So mathematically, um, they first thought it was 2012. And then uh, when they took in the calendars and how it takes days away, et cetera, et cetera, mathematically, they said it was 2020. Mm. So which meant we were going from the dark ages to the golden ages. And I feel and there are many of those that agree with me. And there are many of those who don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> but I believe that we are in the golden ages and that we're able to tap into um, the law of attraction a little more, the laws of the universe, you know, um, being able to um, control our energy, you know, so that we can attract positivity and, you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not really something people expect to hear from me. Um, but I really do subscribe to that. Um, and and a, a big basis of it is like the power of now. I don't know if you know Eckhart Tolle and, you know, um, how it works. But it's it's just basically maintaining presence and not being pulled in by anything, really. And always just maintaining your presence, kind of like riding a, a, a surfboard instead of worrying how to control the waves, you know, more like mastering a surfboard, yeah. you know, kind of mm-hmm. taking that approach to life. You know, I think, I think that helps a lot. I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn, turn <laughs> that, that I'm going to turn that bit into an MP3, put it in my pocket and I'm going to play it. <laughs> I, I liked, I morning. liked that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I'm giving that, I'm giving that a. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. And I have to say that, I think that is a, um, a unique, uniquely positive interpretation of that question, and I love it. Don't you think? Thank you. Of course. Yeah. 
I love that everybody has a different take yes, on it. Yes, that's why I love asking that question. That's and a, I, it's and a great I, question. And I like you didn't get mad at us. Some people get mad at us. Nobody when we gets ask mad at us. No, nobody. we've had a few. No. All right. You get bothered. So. <laughs> yeah, bothered. All right. Freddie Freddy Lopez, also known as Freddie Logic. Right. Um, What's the logic? We never talked about the logic. I'll give, I'll give you the logic piece. So, uh, Real in quick. Ten, in t- it's quick. In 10th grade, I won uh, in technical math. I won most logical person. Uh, I was on the, yeah, I was on the football team and they, they were, they thought they were ridiculing me by calling me Freddie Logic, Freddie Logic, Freddie Logic. So I just owned it. Huh. And, yeah. and, and I've used it, you know, logic, real estate, homes, logic, real estate, logic, realty, uh, logic, entertainment, everything I've done. I kind of like used it as a, a little turn it around. Gimmick. Yeah. 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 I love that. And stomping Jen, I love you for asking that question. Why? Cause I didn't think to ask it. You are the, 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 the asker of great questions. Are you telling me that I'm winning? I'm winning this podcast. You are winning. You, the podcast. you and Freddie are winning the Aww. podcast <laughs> and I love it. Team. <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you, Freddie. Freddie, thank yes. you for thank yes. you for thank you for talking to us. I, I I really appreciated you coming on and just chatting with us. I I, I learned yeah, a lot definitely. and I loved connecting with you. So um, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks. We're gonna go around. Everyone's gonna say the um, customary sign off. What is it, Stomping Jen? What do we I'm say here? Say share with a friend and blah 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 and subscribe and download. Yeah, and all, we love you and bye now. All that, all that Stomping Jen said. Um, and Freddie, you want to give us a bye now? Uh, just you know, spread love, spread love, but keep peace, like nice. internal to yourself. Make sure, make sure you don't let the the gooey stuff of the world pull you into it. I love that. So I'm just going to say to you all now, bye now. This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility that all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity and that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road. 